The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast, CBS Sports Daily NFL Podcast. Sometimes more than daily when emergencies call. I'm Will Brinson. I'm the host of the show. Having a packed show live from Radio Row. Well, it's not live. It's a podcast, but you get the point. <laughs> um, coming up later, former uh, five-time... Exec of the year, Scott Pioli joins myself, Ryan Wilson, and John Breach. I've got a one-on-one interview with Dak Prescott, Cowboys quarterback, which I guarantee where he'll play next year. Is it Dallas? Does he get a new deal? He didn't want to talk about it. And of course, right now, this is this is like the players only. Like you know what they they do? You feel like you're in the players club, huh? Yeah, they, no, they don't let me. This like like I'm like the poor man Jody Johnson here or something like that. Like, you're like the agent or the like the, the finance guy. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Brady Quinn, Brian McFadden, two, weekly guest. For like two years now on this, on this podcast, helping us to surge into like the mediocre to decent rankings on iTunes. Stop it. I'm just kidding. It's a wildly popular podcast. I'm just, uh. Please, please. It's sad that people can't see you right now, Will. Uh oh. He's, he's looking good. He's got the button up on. He's got the, uh, the nice navy blue blazer with some gold buttons on it. Looking very, uh, stately. Um, Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, and then there's just a lot of chest hair coming out of this shirt right now. Yeah, this is a uh, Leadberry button-up. I um, I may have accidentally packed one of the – I meant to go with a Peter Millar with yeah. Leadberry. The the cut here is very wide. Your chest hair almost extends directly to your beard. So I had to go with this one on – it's a chest hair thing. Yeah. <laughs> it is weird. That's why I'm pointing it out. There's a um, lot of chest hair. And uh, we'll, we'll have some more tighter buttons the rest of the week. Had to get yeah. this out of the way early. That or a tie or something. A tie. You might need to wear a tie. Ties are out. If, if the chest there keeps getting this out of control, Ties are, I mean, he's in Miami. He might as well. Yeah, like, yeah, Prisco's walking out. He's got, like, his belly button out. Yeah, his, be- his belly button is showing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, like, creeping out the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell him I said that. Just kidding. We're going to go through these game position by position and look at uh, who has the edge. Before we do that, quick bit of news. Um, Bill O'Brien. Mm-hmm. The head coach of the Houston Texans and de facto GM officially promoted to GM, which means he is now essentially the second most powerful coach in all of professional football, trailing only Bill Belichick. And you could make a case that there are other guys up there, but in title, uh, he's there. Were you surprised by this move, and do you think it's a mistake? Uh, No question. I'm surprised. Um, Didn't expect to hear that. We know they've been – Low key searching for a GM for quite some time now. Yeah, seems like. Well, they they tried to go get Nick Casario, and they they got tampering charges almost filed against him by the Patriots, and then or tampered, filed, and then rescinded. And now they've been theoretically searching for a GM, and they're going to bail on it. Yeah, and so I'm surprised to see Bill O'Brien be named the GM along with head coach. And is he deserving of that position, Brady? Nah, I don't think so. I think he's a good coach. Now, granted, it seems like every year he he has a questionable decision that kind of hampers their success or put a halt to their season, ending their season. We saw that this year with the fake punt, mm. the decision to do that. 
and where they were at the time on the football field. But when you think about head coaches that are anointed the GM, they have a championship in their pocket. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And for him, he hasn't come close to – Division championships. Yeah, division championships. He did win a division yeah, title with Brian Hoyt. Can I be honest? Uh, is this news? I, I kind of thought he was already acting as the general manager, right? Yeah, I guess the title, right? Yeah, right. So, so it's really more about, I think, a payday, and then if, if they do want to make a more of a case for moving on from them, like with more responsibility, also can come a greater downfall. So, um, I actually have no problem with this because if I was to create an organization, I would obviously have the head coach have more power than the general manager for this reason. Ultimately, you're graded on what happens on the field. Sure. And so I would want to ensure that if there's a final say between a player or a decision that's going to be made, I want the guy who's down there on the field managing the game, coaching the team, to ultimately have the final say. And and then that way I can figure out if we need to move on from that guy, move on from the general manager, et cetera. So I have no problem with this. I just think it's it's a lot on his plate. But he's been a head coach there long enough, I think, maybe he feels comfortable being able to handle both roles and maybe trim some of the fat. You know, maybe it cuts out some of the lack of communication sometimes or things that there's get no lost. There's no managers here. No, there's no. I mean, <laughs> but, but, but here's here's the reality of it is, and, I, and just from talking to the friends who are coaches, et cetera, you know, there are times where the scouting staff is supplying you grades and these evaluations on players, and the coaching staff is saying to them, well, these players don't fit like what we do from a scheme perspective, or this isn't what we're looking for in a prospect. And so when there's that miscommunication and you're getting supplied guys who don't necessarily fit within what you want to do or what they need to do within this offense, it doesn't work. So at least now when you start removing some of those pieces in between, it creates more work for him. It's like you're trying people. to make spaghetti and somebody brought you Alfredo sauce. Right. Like it's not going to fly. And, and let's put, well, like, I mean, you could use the Alfredo sauce. Sure, but like you're but, not going to make – right, but you need right. the right groceries to make the right thing. Right. Certainly uh, the head coach and the GM will be on the same page in Houston. Maybe they before. should be. By the way, be. Yeah. Unless he's bipolar. And then maybe we don't know. Or uh, or schizophrenic. Schizophrenic would probably be a better way to yeah. say that. Um, uh, Jack Easterby, also promoted to executive VP of football operations. That's a big bump from Pastor. Mm-hmm. I know, I know a little something about old Jack. Uh, Jack actually uh, officiated my wedding. So that's right. I forgot about uh, that. Jack and I go way back. He's a great guy. I, I think he was one of the the secrets that New England was able to kind of keep for quite some time. Um, and, and they had him doing a bunch of different roles. He went from Pastor to then all of a sudden doing a bunch of different things. You know, now looking at how he oversees and kind of. We'll be able to kind of provide a little bit of wisdom to, um, to Bill O'Brien. And really, I think just how they're trying to build the culture there in Houston. He'll be a, a pivotal part in all that. And, and evaluating, I think, the character and, and what they're trying to do there as a team. Uh, well, just one more point on that real quickly before we get to the players. I, I was on uh, Boston Radio this morning, and it sort of hit me as we were talking about free agents. Like Kyle Van Noy will be a free agent. They have a bunch of guys who could leave. There's a whole lot of teams who are like heavily Patriots, like – you have the, like Easterby and Bill O'Brien, right. Mike Vrabel and John Robinson. Um, you know, you have all these Patricia, different Bob Patricia Quinn. and Bob Quinn, right? So like, it's becoming harder for the Patriots to retain these sort of quirky free agents, like a Kyle Van Noy who might not they're get more coveted. Yeah, they're, well, they're more coveted because there's more teams around right. the league who might want them. So I th- just think that's interesting. It's interesting. You know, it is savvy point to make by me. Uh, <laughs> let's get to the uh, the players to make up for the all the chest hair that's just spewing out of your shirt right now. It's, it's a signature. It's yeah. Hey, you gotta have is a look. it though? Yeah. Sure. Where's your Where's your hat? Where's the Brinson sucks hat? Uh, I don't have a Brinson sucks hat. They sent me one that says I suck. Oh, hey. that's uh, a podcast listener. Brady said I said Brinson. I said my wife walks around with a Brinson sucks hat, and Brady goes, "That's inappropriate." <laughs> I was like, "Well, yeah, she calls me Brinson, but I see where you're coming from." Podcast <laughs> listener heard it, sent everybody 
uh, sent Ryan Wilson a box of Brinson Sucks hat. So he sent him down to Fort Lauderdale. They've got the Brinson Sucks hats. And I have one that says, I suck. Because, you know, so lovely. Um, quarterback. We'll, we'll get through this one pretty quickly. Who's got the edge at quarterback? <laughs> of course, Kansas City. Yes. Uh, enough said about, you know, Pat Mahomes and what he's accomplished. Uh, the MVP last year. And I think right now, guys, he's playing some of the best football. Of the, of the, of the year right now in the postseason. Uh, nine touchdowns, zero interceptions, and needing to deliver, and he has delivered. So it's not only is Pat Mahomes the best quarterback in this matchup, he's, I think he would be the best quarterback in almost any matchup. And coming from behind too. I mean, yeah. some of those stats, I mean, having to come from behind in, in clutch moments, uh, he's the best. In fact, I would make the comparison. He's kind of doing for the NFL what Steph Curry did for the NBA. Mm. Like he's changing the way that we look at a guy who was unconventional come out of college, right? Didn't necessarily run an NFL system, was in shotgun often. Mm-hmm. And now you look at what he's been able to do, and I think now we say, wait, we can teach him to be a conventional quarterback. Like, that's our job as coaches. We can take all those things that he's special and that he can do that are unconventional, yep. and we can make those work. And so much like Steph Curry and how he's kind of changed the way three-point shooting is in the NBA, I think you're seeing that maybe with Patrick Mahomes. Uh, but Garoppolo's not that far off. He's not that far off. I think when you look at the, his completion percentage, um, just how many would he have, how many 300 games he had with four touchdowns um, this year, his quarterback rating. And, and it's not like they throw the football that much less. They just have in the postseason. Mm-hmm. Right. He averages like 30 attempts a game. Yeah, he threw the ball most yeah. of the regular. Kent State's like 35. So it's not as, as far off as people want to make it seem. Yeah. Uh, by the way, Patrick Mahomes, if he wins the Super Bowl this week, would become just the second player in NFL history to win MVP and the Super Bowl in his first three seasons, along with Kurt Warner. Um, if he throws for three passing touchdowns in the Super Bowl, he would pass Dan Marino for most passing uh, touchdowns by a quarterback under the age of 25 in the postseason. Marino wow. with 13, Mahomes with 11. Um, Do you, if he doesn't get back... See, like said this, yes, it's a thing, dude. It's a thing. I have Marino, and like, and like, the, that's those, like if he loses two. Okay, if he loses this, don't you think that people are going to at least ask the question, like, sure, can he win the big one? Because it's like Andy Reid can't. No, not, not, not just that. yet. I mean, he's not this, not aggressive. They're going to go after Lamar Jackson. This, this was his second year as a full time starter. Yeah, the first year he won the MVP. MVP. The second year he gets to the promised land. So I'm, I don't think we will see those questions. To, uh, arise talking. It, it, it's a team game anyway. Yeah, we have a lot of free time in the offseason. Yeah. Right. The, the, Somebody's going to write the think piece like, can he win the big ones? Yeah. Stop. It's too soon for Did that. Patrick Mahomes miss a career opportunity? I, I think um, that question would be asked more. Would be that's right. Point where people weren't worried about asking the question because they sort of assumed he just wasn't going to win one. Mm-hmm. You know, like he he's sixth all time, right? Win percentage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Six win percentage, seventh in total seventh wins. Total wins. Yeah, and like, but he almost become Sergio Garcia of the NFL, where it's like people were like, yeah, he's an all time great who never won a Super Bowl. Like yeah. they weren't even expecting it. Um, with with Jimmy G, if he has to throw thirty five times, are the 49ers winning this game? No, they're losing. I mean, yeah. bottom line is, I think if they if they throw over thirty, it's it's a bad sign. I mean, look, their average sure. is thirty. Now it has been in the postseason because they've been able to run the football effectively. But if if he throws the ball north of probably twenty eight, twenty nine, I'll even inch that number down further. I think it's not a good sign for where San Francisco's at. Uh, running backs got Damian Williams and Darwin Thompson, the not very much used rookie running back, against our friend of the podcast, Raheem Mostert, mm-hmm. was on the show. A little original reporting by the, uh, by the podcast here. Uh, Tevin Coleman and Matt Breida. We like to make fun of Pete for that. Pete thinks he's some fancy reporter. Like you've been, the, you've been, you've been sliding thirty-two teams around in an order for five years, old man. What are you talking about? <laughs> uh, 
Raheem Mostert, Tevin Coleman, and Matt Breida. Who's got the advantage at running back? It's easy. It's the San Francisco 49ers. Yeah. They love to run the football. I mean, that is, has been one of the, the strongest part of their offense. And it's a running back by committee. They got three guys that are all explosive. Yeah. All sub-4-4 four, four guys. And the way they run the football, it's a unique style. You talk about Kyle Shanahan and that zone system. It's similar to what the Denver Broncos had when his father was the head coach. It's about plug and play and wait for the success to happen. When they had Mike Anderson and other guys in the Denver Broncos offense, it wasn't about having a household name, just being a guy that believed in the system. Right. And and they executed. So, yeah, the, the, the format that they have in San Francisco and running the football, when Tevin Coleman is not in the lineup, Matt Breida excel. When it's, Matt Breida's not in the lineup, Raheem, he takes off. So it's not about you got to have a big name. The way they run the football and they're devoted in running the football, yeah, it's, it's the running backs for San Francisco. They're a better running team, but I don't know that you're making a case for the running backs. I think you're almost making a case just for the offensive line and yeah, the scheme. Yeah, that they're um, part of. It, and that's it's like kind of going back to the quarterback uh, conversation. I don't know that they're like well, maybe actually, Williams we, is that far just, apart. Well, why don't we just loop that in because we're going to run short on time just because of yeah. an issue that we got to deal with. But like, let's do running game. So instead of the running oh, backs yeah, for San Francisco, San Francisco. Yeah, I mean, like, do, do you think the offensive line for San Francisco is better than the offensive line for Kansas City? They're lighter. I, I think man per man, if you're looking at the actual personnel, you probably wouldn't make that case. Uh, I think it's the combination of, of the looks, the, the way scheme, they work, that and that yeah, and, and look the other complementary pieces. The, the wide receivers block down down or block downfield as good as anyone. George Kittle is an incredible Kittle, blocker. Yeah. The rest of the tight ends, use check. I mean, it's 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 the whole package. Okay, um, tight end Ooh. and wide receiver. Or we'll do tight end first. Let's do tight end first. Yeah. We'll get back to wide receiver. Kelsey versus Kittle. This is Kelsey's the best pass catcher in the league at the position. But Kittle is the best total tight end, right? Yeah, I, I would side with Kittle because mm-hmm. the gap between Kelsey and Kittle, when a, when you look at pass catcher, it's not as big as the gap when you look at blocking. Yeah, for Kittle over Kelsey, and because of that, I go Kittle because Kittle's a, a great blocker, and he's a guy that could really impact the game not catching the football. Travis Kelsey, and I'm not saying that he can't do it, but he hasn't been called to do that a lot. He's usually split out wide, and sometimes when he's involved in the line of scrimmage with his hand in the dirt, they're not running behind him. So I I would go with Kittle because you can get more from Kittle outside of just catching passes. If I said Kittle's more dynamic than Kelsey, like when I think of some of the bigger plays – Mm, he has Between the, it, it seems like he's he's the one that's separating more or actually making more big plays than Kelsey. Like, Kittle? yeah, like Kelsey's more of like the twenty to thirty yard like big chunks or being a target in the red zone. Kittle's a dude that like could take it from fifty out and he you know, has some, some space. And that, that's well, why. You now that might be that's partially scheme too. Where you, right, like, and that's Kyle again going back to Kyle Shanahan. Has him scheme. running across the middle and he's wide open. Jimmy, and that's like the difference too. Is like they love to throw across the middle to, to right. the tight ends. You get Kittle running in the open space. Kelsey's really good with the ball in his hands too. Don't right. get me wrong, yeah. but Kittle is like he just uh, that's game, that game against the Saints. I mean that play, the play yeah. where he just destroyed the guy and got the first down. Um, I would go Kittle too, but I think I think that's probably the closest yeah. Yeah. of any of these matchups. A wide receiver, Tyreek Hill, Casey, Kansas, Casey. Kansas City. It's, I mean, there's not really much. Yeah. There's so much speed. Even if you're a San Francisco 49ers fan, you would pick Kansas City. You have a three of bias You have to pick Kansas City. Debo Samuel is really good. Though. He's been phenomenal for them. Patriots not drafting him is going to go down as an all-time mistake. Yeah. But, you know, again, it kind of speaks to the advantage you sometimes have when you're in, in good Mobile. 
right? When you're working with the Debo Samuel at the Senior Bowl yeah. and you see him firsthand, you've got that inside track. Go back and look at how many players that John Lynch and Kyle Shannon end up taking oh, yeah. from that group. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, to the defensive side of the ball, we talked about the offensive line. Defensive line, mate, this is pretty close too, right? No chance. No it's chance. not close? That's San Francisco. I mean, it, it is San Francisco, but I don't think it's like every single spot's an issue. Every single spot. And when you're an offensive line, you're having those tough conversations because not only one in the run game, if Kansas City does want to run the football, there's that many spots where they're saying, like, we feel like we could do this versus this guy, right? Much like the passing game, you look for those mismatches or those advantages on the D front. You're not seeing that. You're not, you're not seeing that really across the offensive line for the Chiefs. So that's a concern. And then obviously pass protection issues too. Everyone's going to be on some one-on-ones. Yeah, I'm right there with Brady. It's Kansas City. <laughs> the reason I'm we're laughing is San Francisco. had an apple that he was tossing and we're flying off the it's, set. It's San Francisco. He's so hungry. The, the, the thing about San Francisco, guys, is that that's a highly invested group, and they're playing up to their investment. Yeah, for sure. All four guys are first-rounders. Well, who's – which – can you neutralize the 49ers pass rush at can't. There are too many. There's tons. If I, if I, if I, we're going, if we're going to game plan against San Francisco and say, you know what, let's try to neutralize Joe, uh, Nick Bosa. You got D Ford. You well, got Buckner. I, I can tell you how you, how you want to try, right? I By mean, all means. You got to be able to run the football. Yep. That's the first thing, right? Cause yep. you got to, you got to fire off the ball and not allow them just to get upfield all the time. Screens, quick game. If you're going to pass and throw oh, deep, play max play action, oh. RPOs, yes. boots, like get them moving. Well, that, there was, there's a stretch now from weeks eight, through week 17, basically, where Quan Alexander was missing with that torn pack, that they were really susceptible to, to screens right. and bootlegs. Right. Not anymore. Quan's back. There was a stat. Green Moss played well. Fred's played. I mean, Fred Warner. Well, Fred Warner's a, a star. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 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 Um, do you think that the matchup with the wide receivers and the cornerbacks impacts how the pass rush at all? Like The funny thing to me is, like, I actually think the matchup between the 49ers versus the Chiefs secondary, as far as the wide receivers and, and cornerbacks... I think it's slanted way more in the favor of San Francisco than looking at San Francisco's secondary versus the wide receivers of, of the Chiefs. Like, the Chiefs' wide receivers are good. Richard Serban's freaking balling out at this point. Yep. And you, you look at the safety positions, too. I think they could hold their own. The biggest question is cornerback opposite of, of you know Sherman, whether it's been Witherspoon or Mosley. Like I think both those guys are going to get picked on, and they're going to have to earn their keep. They're, they're going to have to get on, safety are, help. Are they going to get picked on by Tyree Kill or Sammy Watkins? Well, it depends. It depends if Richard Sherman travels, and it depends on pond formation too, right? It'd be surprising if Sherman traveled, right? Yeah, he traveled a little bit in the NFC Championship. Well, they just flipped him. They, like, well, they flip and they let him play the boundary, right? Yeah, well, they just they flipped him, and then Matt Lafleur was just not prepared for the flip. Like, sure, yeah. But but I'm saying like there's still the the ability for them to match up or let him do that from time to time, yeah. depending on where that guy lines up. It would be surprising. I mean, like, I could be wrong. Like, who knows what they'll do? But it would be surprising if they had him follow Tyreek Hill. They won't do that the entire game. There's yeah. no chance. It just feels like that ends poorly for you if you do that. Because yeah. Tyreek's not a good matchup for Richard Sherman. Tyreke's no. He's not a good matchup. For anybody. Not a good matchup for anyone. But, like, but like Sherman wants that big physical. like A guy he can get his hands on. Yeah. Once he gets his hands on you, it's over. Yeah. And that's the problem with Tyreek Hill is you respect the speed too no, much. You give him a cushion. Yeah. yeah. So it's kind of like trying to catch a squirrel. <laughs> you ever caught one? No. <laughs> Have you ever eaten a squirrel? No, I'm not eating squirrels. Have you eaten a squirrel? Have you? Have you? Yeah. Yeah. When you have a beard like Will Brinson, you've eaten yeah. squirrel. Tastes like chicken. Look like Will. Does it taste like chicken? It was out on a big farm, so it's not like near power lines and stuff like so that. You who know? caught the squirrel for you to eat? Uh, my cu- my cousins. <laughs> they shot it. I don't know. I think it was probably shot. Yeah, it had to be. Yeah, I don't think they wrestled the squirrel down by hand. That's a, that's a good shot, by the way. Yeah. So if you're catching a squirrel, your three cone drill is phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, also, like, I would be scared that the squirrel would turn and jump on me. 
Yeah, because squirrel have rabies. It's a right? rabbit Absolute. squirrel? Yeah, these squirrels like are probably not rabbit or like full of like. They see acorns. Or it was a weird like in my if if in a vacuum I would not have eaten the squirrel, but it was like a weird like sort of pressure like it was like hey we're seasoned pretty good. Yeah, it was, it was roasted, spit roasted, uh-huh. spit roasted. Huh? Yeah. You spit on it while it's on the spit yeah, roast. Just spit on it. You, you feel more manly no. after eating that? No, I felt like I was gonna die. <laughs> <laughs> With a little moonshine, wash yeah, that no, down. Yeah, huh? down that's the that's uh, the booze. Do you think that the Chiefs' defensive line can get after Jimmy? Can yes. can they can how can can they stop the run game of the 49ers? I think I think Steve Spagnuolo will have a scheme that can help them. Personnel wise, I have concerns, um, especially if Chris Jones is not healthy. But Steve Spagnuolo has been around for quite some time. He's been in a lot of big ball games. Yeah, for sure. Look at the, the 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 giant Super Bowl he was a part of. Look at some of the defense he came up with, the schemes. So I think he will have a scheme in place because they did a pretty good job against Derrick Henry. Yeah, and look, like right? I mean, the first half, Honey Badger was flying in on Henry. every freaking tackle. The adjustments that Steve Spagnuolo made in the second half, it was impressive. So I, I wouldn't be surprised once again to see uh, Spags come up with a nice game plan. So here's my concern. Kyle Shanahan is one of the best predictors of being able to put out certain personnel groups in certain formations and knowing the look he's going to get. Yep. And then what he finds out is he knows that you have to have run support here, here, here for this gap. If Steve Spagnola gets too cute trying to pressure too much or do too much, either on the disguise of the looks or whatever the case may be, that's where I feel like they have to be careful that they'll create some creases. And yep. so that's my concern for this Kansas City defense. I think that's the schematic thing that I'm most – Looking forward to watching. It's Shanahan versus Spagnola. Um, exciting news for old Kenny White. They found his. Uh, they found. Oh. A, they found his cell phone. They finally found. Yeah, they finally Kenny's found his phone. phone. Yeah. Was, this a, was this an issue? Was this a problem? Yeah, he lost it lost earlier today. Yeah, he completely lost his phone. Um, twenty twenty. This is where we're at. What's, <laughs> I mean, it, this sounds kind of stupid, but is it easier to stop Patrick Mahomes in the past in the Chiefs' offense or to stop the San Francisco run game? Running game. Uh, let me ask you. Guys Wait, we, actually, I think we talked about this previously. Maybe we talked about this on HQ. Well, how do you define stop? Like well, slow down enough to win, or I mean, what are we talking about? Well, so like, are you? I would define it as this: like, if the Chiefs can can minimize what the 49ers do in the run game and score some points and force the 49ers to come from behind, try to come from behind, I think Kansas City will win. If the 49ers can get stops early and get a lead. And really uncork their pass rush. I think they can win. Now, I, I just don't think the Jimmy G and the 49ers can come back from twenty-one nothing. I would never count out Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs just I because agree. we've seen it. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. I, I think it based like, on how well both teams have been running. The, um, both teams have been playing offensively. One team has been running the ball well. The other team has been throwing the ball well. I think it would be easier to stop the ground game. And the reason why I say that is because the Chiefs kind of got a glimpse of a powerful ground game against right. Tennessee. Right. And they didn't do a bad job. No. San Francisco hasn't really seen what Kansas City can do in the postseason play. Yeah. So I think the Chiefs may be more better equipped yeah. against the ground game. Um you know what's a harder thing to coach and execute? Is the is running game. 
is to ensure that every block you're is you're just what it needs to be. You're right? saying like to execute as an option. I'm saying if, if you if we were playing high school football right now, we were trying to teach kids. Like one of the reasons why the spreads become so prevalent is it's easy, right? And you don't have to teach a lot. You don't have to teach much. You, t- you show them a couple pass routes. You, you give them a protection. Make sure you block the guy in front of you. And you're trying to isolate your playmakers in space, right? Yeah. And so it's easier to execute. So you see kids that it's really hard to be able to teach them how to block for certain techniques and certain looks and, and have every one of those guys, all all ten blockers, one piece, all nine blockers. One, it's like a Jenga. It's like Jenga. Right. Like one piece and so, and so for that reason, because it's even harder to execute, and even at an elementary level, I think it's easier to then stop and take away. Uh, and then and then you look at the Kansas City Chiefs' success and just having Mahomes, the way he scrambles around and make plays. It doesn't even have to be a play that they draw up. Exactly. And they can, win, can, be, they can, can win on they, playground. They can win on, yeah, exactly. Back to uh, okay, so linebackers, who would you give the edge to? Chiefs? Kansas City? I mean, I'm sorry, San Francisco. Yeah, San Francisco. San Francisco. Yeah, by, by, a, by a pretty wide margin. Wide margin. Uh, healthy Alexander. What about in the secondary? We'll say cornerbacks uh, and safeties, right? I'm looking for, for Debo for a nod. 49ers for me. I, just, I feel like you look across the Kansas City and – there's a lot of there's a lot of weak spots. I'm right there with you, Brady. The 49ers because the front, the 49ers have actually helps yeah. the secondary a lot, and because of that, they were the top in the in the, the top. The Chiefs are like a low key top ten defense, though. Yeah. I think people are sleeping on the Chiefs defense. They played really well down the stretch. Yeah, but San Francisco. Yeah, so the top ten. When are we defining that? Like down the stretch? Oh, by DVOA. <laughs> uh, that's <laughs> nerd that voice? nerd nerd voice. Oh. Yeah. The advanced analytics say they were top ten. Yeah, the advanced analytics. They were a good defense down the stretch. Yeah, the final, was down five or six games. San Francisco was a defense from a good defense from start to finish. For sure, San Francisco was a great defense. Yeah, Kansas City's a, a pretty good you know. defense. Um, okay, uh, I think that's it. You think guys you want to add for the uh, for the podcast? This is it for the week, right? This is the I guess only it's time it for you guys. So I'll get a pick oh, for man. you guys now. I know. I, I, I'm saying San Francisco. I just this game. As soon as I saw the matchup. Felt like the Seattle Seahawks, Denver Broncos to me back in 2013 mm. and the 2002. Oh, I forget what Super Bowl that was, but the one Super Bowl in 48 in New York. 48 yeah. in New York. It, it has the feeling of that to me. Mm. And so for that reason, I think I like San Francisco. I mean, there's similarities to it in just right. in terms of like the high octane passing offense, the defensive front and, and like and good defenses game. usually beat good offenses. And we talk ourselves into it not happening because you're like, well, they have an incredible quarterback and he's just on a heater. And yeah. then bam, Cam Chancellor puts. Demarius Thomas in the ground, and you're like, this game's over. Hey, uh, Brian will appreciate this only because there, there's a rival of his alma mater, Florida State. There's some news coming out. NFL and San Francisco 49ers deemed the University of Miami practice field unsafe prior to Super Bowl week. Wow, Miami. Wow. After initial pushback from Miami, the 49ers paid to have the field replaced less than a year after Miami had resurfaced the field. So they just replaced Good it. Good on the 49ers for doing that. Yeah, the 49ers like, replaced it, though, because they thought it was unsafe. Think about that. What does that, that, that say for the U? Wait, so the U played on that field for the entire the practice year? Practice field, yeah. Unsafe. Man, they did. And they wouldn't do that I at Florida go. State, would they? Now, uh, we got great facilities. Yeah. Great grass. Yeah. Hey, this is your opportunity, man. Pound on the U right now. Turf. I'm not surprised. They put up a bad bad ball club. You're trash. <laughs> you know, there's, you know there's, a gif of, there's a gif of me somewhere out there where I, like, I, like, I was on the CBS Sports HQ desk. I like went to throw up a U and like went full. Like, oh, you down? Yeah, yeah. Good man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Who that. you got? Chiefs or 49ers? Kansas City. Uh, this is a. I think this will be an evenly matched ball glo- um, ball game. Um, both teams I respect, coaches I respect, uh, but I like I just like Kansas City. I think Pat Mahomes, man, is going really. He's playing amazing right now. He really is. I, I have the Chiefs. I have a nagging concern that the 49ers are going to. Sure, I think it's gonna be hey, an awesome game. Dante Whitner told me today. Now, granted, bias used to be a former Forty Nine er. He said Forty Nine ers win by three touchdowns. I think he said fifty one twenty nine or something like that. 
That would be a big surprise. Right. Yeah. And and I said if if that happens, I will tell everyone that you made that prediction because <laughs> I, I do not think that game's gonna go this way. Yeah. yeah. He's a surprise uh, though. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, Scott Pioli and Dak Prescott, BMAC, yes, Brady, sir. you guys are the, the, the men. The mans? Squirrel time. Great job. Go squirrels. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads ensure you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drives you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. Whether you're tailgating out in the dirt lot, Carter Finley, shout out Carter Finley, or whether you're whitewater rafting, taking the entire family on an adventurous trip, maybe you're out camping at Mount Rogers. I used to go as a kid, wish my parents had a Hyundai Santa Fe. The Hyundai Santa Fe is perfect for your family outing. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Radio Row, CBS Sports HQ. This is the Pick 6 Podcast. They keep giving us this show. I don't know why. I'm not going to stop doing it. I don't ask questions. Show up and we talk about football for a living. Works for me, Will Brinson, Ryan Wilson, John Breach. Thrilled to be joined. By Scott Pioli. How you doing? Thanks for having me. No, I'm doing Thanks great. for coming. Doing great. It's, it's odd being on this side of it, though. Isn't During it? the Super Bowl. Yeah. I've, yeah. I've, I've never really gotten a chance to do this. Well, but I'm happy to be with you guys. Yeah. Well, the good news is this is the highly informal version of HQ. We're going to go, we're going to, we're not going to goof off, but we're going to have a good time. We're going to take, bring the podcast genre to the media desk. Which is interesting because I thought podcasts were only audio. That's right. That's what we thought, too, until they told us differently. That's why we're here right now. They're, they're like, you guys are too good-looking to be audio only, so we need a <laughs> no, show. We're no like, All right, cool, that. man, whatever. Um, Can I but, say quickly that I spent last week in Mobile with Scott? I honestly learned so much in that short amount of time. I'm saying that because he's extremely helpful, and, and I want to get on his good side, but I'm, not, I'm telling the truth. <laughs> he's a fantastic guy, and we talked about this. The perception of Scott, the general manager, and Scott, the person, is completely different, and hopefully we'll see that over the, the next Thank hour. You. Well, uh, speaking of, I don't want to say mentoring Ryan. You don't want to take him under your wing or anything like that. Trust me. Believe me. I brought Ryan up in this biz. and no, I'm Ryan and I worked together for like 15 years. But um, I will point out, before I left for the Super Bowl, my wife doesn't know anything, doesn't know jack about football. Like, doesn't hates football, doesn't like care about husband. It. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like her husband. Oh, it's that kind of show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Now you got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, he's not wrong. And um, she goes, she goes, 
when you go to the Super Bowl, can you interview Katie Sowers? Because she's a badass. And I was like, how do you know who she is? And she was, she'd been reading about her. It was just fascinated by it. And I, I, we didn't realize until we were putting the show together, you have, you've been mentoring her and brought her sort of into the coaching circles, right? Yeah, she, uh, so she, I didn't know this was coming up today, but oh, okay. she was, uh, <laughs> it's like that. She was, my, <laughs> she was my daughter's or our daughter's fifth grade basketball coach. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. With the Chiefs, um, the year after I was done, we stayed in Kansas City and our daughter was playing basketball, uh, with this, with her school. And it was a league outside of the school, and Katie was her coach. And Katie um, apparently picked up on who I was. I I wasn't as uh, as intuitive as I thought. She kept asking a bunch of football questions. <laughs> I'm like, okay, so what's the deal here? You know, and uh, we started talking football. We've talked a ton of football through that season. Um, I actually went to one of her games, the Kansas City Titans, who she played for the World Football uh, Women's Football Alliance. And she was an unbelievable player. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen highlights of her and her sister, who was a wide receiver. You know, Katie was uh, on the women's national team. Unbelievable player. And we just cultivated this relationship, and she wanted to be a, a football coach. And over the years, when I got to the Atlanta Falcons, we, um, you know, I, I was ahead of the Bill Walsh Diversity Fellowship Program for our team, did all the hiring of the coaches that would be in the pipeline for the Atlanta Falcons. And one year I decided, okay, I'm going to give this a shot and talk to the coach and see if we could get her in. They weren't, they weren't for it right away. So the next year I was a little persistent and brought her in and she worked for us for four years as a coach. Wow. However, um, when that time was done, her job was up and she was going to go back to Kansas City where she was a full time, uh, athletic director and for the city of Kansas City. And I, uh, offered her a job as a seasonal intern for 10 months in the scouting department. And part of the story that people don't know about Katie that's amazing, she quit a full-time job to take a chance and be a scouting intern for 10 months at $10 an hour. Wow. And she was making a lot of money, had benefits, had everything, and she packed up her stuff, put it in a car, came to Atlanta, worked with us for, for 10 months. And then I went to work as her agent, I, 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 <laughs> which I, I did because I knew what she wanted to do. I knew that found out then what she was capable of. And the first job I got her was actually in the Senior Bowl. Charlie Weiss was coaching one of the teams, and Charlie brought her on for that week, which gave me a chance to push her more with Kyle. The fact that she had proximity that entire season with us, she got to know Kyle a little bit. So when Kyle went to the 49ers, he was kind of dragging his feet a little, and he said, well, i got to hire all my coaches. I said, well, I'm finding her a job. And I talked to Billy O'Brien. I talked to Sean McDermott. They both interviewed her. And then Kyle got the picture that he better do something quick and – very long story, but that's where it goes. We're on a podcast, so I think I can tell. Something. No, you. you uh, no, that's a great you story. Yeah, that's a great story. I think most people don't know her background, and now here we are. You starting this story back in Kansas City, and now she is coaching in the Super Bowl and breaking new ground. That's amazing. But you know what? You know what's fascinating about that story to me too is that, and, and for if you don't know and you're listening or watching, uh, Casey, I was not only just the first female to coach in the Super Bowl, but uh, the also the first uh, openly uh, gay coach to yes. to, to take yes. place in the Super Bowl, but. She, and this is where I think people get a little worked up about how NFL coaches and GMs get jobs. Like you used your networking 100%. with guys that you knew to say, Hey, listen, this is a very good candidate. It's not always about like glad handing and getting your buddy a job. You're trying to, you know what I mean? Like I, I think that people have a misperception of how the NFL can work sometimes in terms of networking. Absolutely. And, and I believe strongly in equality in, in 
for all groups of people that are marginalized. And if you're going to do the work and you look like me, you have an obligation as a responsibility because you have this platform, you've got this power, and I understand what I have and what a gift it is, and it's not meant for me to keep to myself. So providing Katie with that opportunity um, you know, was just very normal to me, very natural to me. And and that's the thing in life was what people don't understand is if you give people an opportunity and then mentor them, you can't just give someone an opportunity and expect them to go on their own because they've been outside of the club long enough. Sure. So you have to bring them in, mentor them, help them, teach them so they can make progress. And Katie, um, again, she needed an opportunity. She needed guidance. She needed mentoring. and then, But she has done all the work. For so, sure. Scott, you've talked about uh, diversity and, and all the things you've done. As long as I, I can imagine anyone in the NFL has sort of been on this, and we've heard about it now through the coaching hires in recent weeks and months, and I was talking to a couple of assistant coaches last night at media night about this. How do we go about making sure there are more people of color, women, um, represented not only in the head coaching uh, sort of pipeline, but as even on the offensive side of the ball? Because a lot of times we don't even see that represented offensively right. and trying to move up to eventually become a head coach. Well, I, I think it comes down to the people with the power. We need to change the minds and the actions of the people that hold the power. And in some spaces, for head coaches, it's owners. For some places where it's assistant coaches, it's head coaches. You know, in, in it, it's the, the the we need to create this mind shift and understanding um, that the people in power need to make decisions that are better and different. Now, I'll say this: there's a lot of people. Uh, you know, I'm not a unicorn in this industry. There's a lot of people who believe the same things, and for whatever reason, they they're hesitant to make those decisions mm. because. Um, the you know the, the path of least resistance is usually sure. the easier path. Um, so I, I just think that that, that again, Ryan, that the simplest way is people with proximity and power need to make those decisions. And until we change their mindset or make them feel more comfortable with making those decisions, and the truth, it comes down to pressure. You know, yeah. I mean, and we need to apply the pressure for people to make better decisions. Just an example, like I think, and we said this on the podcast previously, but if Eric Bieniemy was a Caucasian former quarterback who is Andy Reid's offensive coordinator, I feel like he might have gotten a little more action in terms of like job search this offseason. It felt very, it's not, I don't know if it's surprising, but it felt very disappointing that people were, because look, like you could, Doug Peterson comes out of there. He wins a Super Bowl. Matt Nagy comes out of there. He takes the Bears, wins a, a, a division title in his first, first year with the Bears. Like why, I'd be, I'd be hammering that pipeline if I'm, if I'm them and I'd be grabbing the next Andy Reid OC. Absolutely. And I don't understand it either. And, and those are great examples because as you were starting to talk about, I was going to bring up those examples and I don't know what the reason is, right? I, Maybe uh, I don't know. Yeah. I've not been with Eric to see how good of a coach he is or isn't. But I also wasn't with Matt, and I wasn't, you know, with Doug. So, sure. the, to me, one of the interesting things out of that whole tree is that when Doug and Matt were there, there was never a question as to who the play caller was. Right now, all of a sudden, it seems like there's this narrative with Eric being the offensive coordinator, that Andy's the play call. Mm. And those are one of the things, and again, now I'm just doing this off of memory. I would love to go back and see what does it look like when the, you know, Matt and Doug were, yeah. the, were the coordinators. Was Andy still being the, you know, being 
call the play caller or was it did we go that far out of our way to say that Andy is the play caller? If I recall correctly, Doug and I don't know what the narrative in the media was, but Doug was definitely didn't call plays. Matt called plays for the final, I think, like six games. Matt. They were just struggling with Alex Smith, and he flipped it to Matt Nagy, and then they lost that game to Tennessee. Um, uh, can I ask one more question about Tennessee? <laughs> yeah, I have to it's give It's your show, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> we don't have a rundown. Don't worry podcast. about it. If I do this, this is a signal for Brentson, not for anyone else. Just to take a word in this wise. But I was thinking about Katie, and last night she was asked, uh, does she want to be a head coach one day? And she said, of course, absolutely I do. And I want to ask you, not necessarily whether she's qualified. You can certainly answer that question. I'm guessing she is. She's at this point, and she, you know, sounds like she's really smart and does and says, uh, all the things to, to move up. But can you also talk about more generally, because uh, historically what happens, and we're sort of touching on this, if you're a great pay- play caller, you're the hot new head coaching candidate, and you get there, and it's a completely different job description. So what do you need to do? Can Katie do it, number one? And number two, what do you need to do to be a successful head coach besides X's and O's? Because I feel like a lot of it is managing people. Uh, you know, a couple of questions, a couple of answers to that. Is she capable of being that? I don't know. Yeah. Right? Because right now she's doing a terrific job in the role, and you don't know until people get more exposure. I don't mean public exposure. I'm talking about exposure to the team, exposure to whatever that process is, and having to engage with more players. To sit here and predict whether or not she can or can't be, you know, I don't know if she can. She certainly has the desire and the will. The other part of that is, will she ever be allowed to? Right? Will she ever be allowed to? We're, we're having problems that is getting blackhead coaches. So will, will the thought process always be, will the ignorance always be that it's not seen as being possible and doesn't get, and she doesn't get the opportunity? You know, I, right now it's too early. I've never been around a coach at such a young age or, well, I shouldn't say age as in terms of experience. Right. Um, and been able to say, wow, that person's going to be an incredible head coach. She's, three to four years into the league. She still doesn't have her own full-time. She's a position coach, but she doesn't, she's not the number one wide receivers right. coach, right? She's doing multiple things. Um, I almost think that when we start making projections or asking those questions to Katie, she, she had to answer that question. She was asked it. We almost put them in a position to fail mm. because we don't allow them to do what they've got to do in the now. And we don't manage expectations and we force people ahead into this system. And, and, and truthfully, it's one of the one of the big problems when you're doing a quality work is prepare people to be able to do the job before we promote them and push them to a job and manage our own expectations as right. well. And that's important because if you were to promote them too early, if Katie Sowers became that first head coach and she's there too early and fails – then that's going to set sets the, it back yeah. for the, other female candidates. Yeah, and black coaches. People. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. like and, and look, we I mean, we all know this. We you've been around the game longer than we have, but we've all done this for like a decade, at minimum a decade, right? And the idea that um, you know, like if your team wins or your team loses, the narrative changes. And so, like, if she took over a team that didn't win, you would start getting stories like she can't control the locker. There would like it's very obvious. Hugh Jackson in Oakland, Hugh Jackson in Cleveland. Sure. Yeah. That's sort of. He came in as a hot coaching candidate, yeah. and then that's that's a great point. And that's, that's a great point. It hasn't right. worked out well. Yeah. Uh, we got to take a quick break. That was a great talk. What a good talk. It was fun. What a deep. What a, <laughs> that was a legit deep dive in the Pick Six podcast. I love it. Welcome back to CBS Sports HQ and the Pick Six podcast. We are in lovely Miami. We're not out at the stadium right now, but you see this is guitars, hard rock, mm. Guns and Roses playing at some point this week. Oh yeah. 
I tell you, 1986, I was down in this area, but I can't tell you those stories. There were guitars. And- <laughs> was were you around with Prisco? Pete Prisco back in the day? Ah, uh, I think Pete's older than me. I, yeah, yeah, no, I, that's I, Pete's I'm older sure. than everyone. But Pete still parties in Fort Lauderdale. Like he, like he's now. No, I, I haven't partied since 1990. Um, okay, I, I called it quits. <laughs> okay, well, right. good, good for you. I, I, I need to, I need to take it down. Brenton hasn't party since uh, eight hours ago. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Um, so anyway, look, uh, Will Brinson, Ryan Wilson, John Breach, Scott Pioli joining us for the first part of the show and we're going to talk about this particular matchup um what intrigues you ryan in terms of like what's the x factor not the x factor but like patrick mahomes has been nearly flawless yeah what 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 are the 49ers going to do to to make this happen to make to make to stop this machine well we did it on on tuesday's pod we won't do it in front of scott but we do a little dance and the the worst of the dancer, Andy Reid, off the bye. Because off the bye, he's been really good. What's the number? 23 and 5. 23 and 5. That's impressive. And I think I'm on the Chiefs bandwagon now. I think you two guys are flip-flopping. So we'll, we'll see by the time Friday comes around. But so it starts with Patrick Holmes. You sort of touched on it. He hasn't played a bad game. Uh, this morning on HQ, Jason Lockefort talked about it. He has average games at worst, and then he has phenomenal games. So what has to happen for him to go from average to, to mediocre, uh, you know, sub-mediocre? And I don't know. This defense is lights out. And I think Robert Sala is going to have a lot dialed up. You have to rush four and then play coverage. We know Richard Sherman's doing really well and Fred Warner and Quan Alexander's back. But I just think it's a tall task over the course of 60 minutes to keep Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid's play calling under wraps and under 28 points. I don't know if you can do that. I, I, maybe you can, though, because you look at, you know, Tom Brady and the undefeated Patriots in 2007 with oh. the high scoring. Uh, Are we going th- there? <laughs> Went right to it. First thing. Uh, but you know, like the secret to, to take down a high flying offense, you need a strong pass rush, uh, and you need the back end. You need the secondary to be able to, to guard the receivers, to guard Tyree Kill, Travis Kelsey, and, and the 49ers have a fantastic pass rush. 57 sacks this year. Uh, that's the most in the NFL, including the playoffs. Uh, and so they can get to Patrick Mahomes. They can create panic. We saw him struggle at times when the Titans were putting on pressure. Uh, I don't think the Texans really did do any of that. Uh, but, yeah, so he, you can make him struggle. No, he doesn't throw those four interception games that we might see off a guy like Mitchell Trubisky. Uh, but, you know, if you start to rattle him, that's that's how you create trouble. That's the case with any quarterback. You put pressure on them and hit them, hit them, hit them. That's what rattles quarterbacks. Now, the problem is he Andy Reid understands that about quarterbacks. Right? He's one of the best coaches, and they make sure that they have a quick passing game. The other thing that Patrick Mahomes has, he's a healthy Patrick Mahomes, different than in the early part of the season. So he can avoid a lot of things, and he knows how to see lanes. He knows how to get outside. He's very complicated because some quarterbacks are just good in their movement in the pocket, right? Some can just scramble. He can do both of those things. And he doesn't allow himself to get hit. He doesn't get hit often. But the 49ers know this. Robert Sala knows it. That front four knows it. And the front four that they're rotating. What they've got to do is they've got to get to him. The only time that he's really been slowed down, he hasn't even slowed himself down. He, you know, even early in his career, he didn't slow himself down. Was when he was physically, when he had the high ankle sprain and then he had the knee. That's when he slowed down a little bit and we was like, we were all just kind of like, this guy. Well, the, the 49ers do fit the profile of that stretch you're talking about. A team that can rush the passer without having to blitz. Yes. A team that can run the football aggressively to, because when you, I know the old, you're like, gotta take the quarter, keep the quarterback off the field is an old axiom. But the reality is with Mahomes and any quarterback, if you reduce the game time and you reduce the number of possessions they have, you force them to be perfect on those possessions and they can rush. I'm curious, what, do you think that, how does the schematics of this matchup work, Scott, from 
like the perspective of Richard Sherman. Like he right. doesn't travel very often. They flipped him in, the, in right. last week onto the right side. Do does Andy Reid send Tyreek Hill his way? Send Sammy Watkins his way? How does he handle that? Do you think? No, because I, I, I'm not sure that they do. Because with Tyreek Hill, what they'll do is if they do that, what here's what's unique about the Kansas City Chiefs: they have so many players that can do so many different things. If they want to match someone up, they'll just motion them. Right, matching players up—that's what they do. And then you don't want Richard Sherman traveling that much, as you say, to be because that gets tiresome. Sure. When you go from one side of the formation to the other, you do that enough times in a game, that becomes a problem. To me, uh, it's not necessarily just going to be about the, the the matchups outside on the receivers. It's going to be about pass rush lanes, and not the the San Francisco 49ers not allowing. Patrick Mahomes to buy time because as we've seen, some of what happens with the you know the the Chiefs offense is even when they get covered, it ends up being so much time that they can't stay on receivers. Sure. To me, this is going to be a big thing. Here's what what I think is going to be an interesting part of the game. I don't know this, but my prediction is that Andy Reid is going to ramp up the screen game mm. because they've got these players that are not only very good pass rushers, but they chase like crazy, right? They chase downfield. I mean, Bosa, when he, he gets upfield and then he retra- you know, retraces his steps, gets back downfield. I wouldn't be surprised if they overused the screen game. When Andy was in Philadelphia, um, they did a lot of that. And I think Eric Bieniemy, who also has a great deal of influence, obviously, on this offense. Again, we talked before about yeah, yeah. not knowing where it begins and ends with Andy and Eric. But Eric is a former running back. He loves the running game. He believes in the running game. I think that's why he and Andy get along so well. So I think that this, it's going to look a little bit different this weekend than it has the last do, couple weeks. Do you think they'll like incorporate Sammy Watkins and Tyree Kill in that screen game, too, as a as opposed to maybe just and Kelsey running. and Kelsey okay. and Kelsey yeah. absolutely and Williams. So I think it'll be and that's the thing is they they can run tear screens with receivers because a lot of what their offense has become at different times is Tyree Kill the way that he can run and Sammy Watkins they are detached from the formation and the fact that they're outside really it's like a detached running game they get the ball out there and those guys can go that's kind of what Kelsey is Kelsey is really good with the ball in his hands when he's you know having to be or try to be tackled yeah. so. So I could see a lot of that happening this week. So, uh, 2007, not to bring it up again, Steve Spagnuolo was the, <laughs> we're really rubbing this in, was the defensive coordinator of that Giants team that beat the undefeated, uh, it is worth noting that you have three Super Bowl. Yeah, wins. he's not wearing them right now. No, too much boing. I, it, it, but I, I remember. You always want to win them all, but like, it would, like, we wouldn't, it would be awkward if you're like, so 2007 and that was the yeah. only shot. Five time <laughs> NFL executive of the year. But yeah, we, I, I've lost two Super Bowls and let me tell you what, I, when I lose, it's an epic fashion. Eighteen and one, and then twenty-eight. Oh man! So Spags was the defensive coordinator of that Giants team, and they. Let me ask you: Are there similarities in terms of the front four? Because I think they only rush four a lot of the time. And what did they do to to make Brady uncomfortable in that game? Because that was, I think, probably the worst game of his season. It was such a prolific season. Yeah, and I think what happened in that game is we were a little bit of a tired football team. And I think that started to show a little bit. I also think that, you know, they had a really good pass rush. Yeah. And they had a really good rotation. They rotated people and they were fresh and fresh legs. I think the week off, um, before the Super Bowl really helped that football team. And, uh, you know, I don't know. Steve has good pass rushers with this Chiefs defense. I don't know if across the board it's as good as the group he had at the Giants. Right. But it's going to be interesting. And, it's gonna, it'll be interesting, but Steve, yeah, here's the other thing we've seen. You know, there's a lot of criticism of Steve early and how the defense was doing and how the defense was playing. 
But what we saw over time is they've become more comfortable with Steve. Steve's become more comfortable with them. He knows their strengths. He knows their limitations. And I've known Spags forever. And what Spags does a great job of, he understands what players can do and what they can't do. And a lot of coaches say that they do. But Steve accentuates the positive and limits the limitations. Is he good to have on staff for Andy Reid to talk about what happened uh, what the what the Forty uh, ers might try to do based on his experiences trying to stop t- offenses that that are led, for example, That's by Tom Brady. Excellent point, and I think that there is some of that, even if some of that is just mental and emotional, knowing that hey, they were able to stop it. Spags was the defensive right. coordinator, so, he, so I think it's a great point, Ryan. Well, and Scott, let me ask you this because you mentioned that you know you were in the front office that Falcons team they blew the twenty eight three lead again. Really seriously, he brought it up. He brought it up. It's a gag. What is uh, happening? Well, well, Kyle Shanahan. Kyle Shanahan was the offense coordinator on that team. Yeah. What do you think his mindset is going into this week, knowing hey, the last time I was in the Super Bowl that was pretty much a nightmare. Uh, you know, is that something that's in the back of his head? Do you think it'll be in the back of his head when he's coaching in this game? I think it's only in the back of his head because people keep bringing it up to him. You know, I, <laughs> like I, this guy. I, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, he was asked that question yesterday, right? And he answered is that it doesn't matter or it's not relevant. And, and, and in a way, I think it is. I mean, Kyle, it wasn't just Kyle that learned a lesson that day, right? And this is, here's the funny part. Kyle keeps getting asked this question and so many people keep bringing up how it's Kyle. And I think that's because Kyle has this platform now because he's the person that's in the seat of success. You know, all the other people that could have had a hand in that could have had something to say about doing something that mm. and changing. Kyle was only the offensive coordinator that day. Yeah. And I say only half kiddingly. But there were a lot of other people. There were a lot of other adults in the room or in the dome that day that could have helped make the decision. The, the buck does not stop at the OC. No, no, I mean, no. The, the day, and, right? and I'm not sitting here throwing it on oh. Dan Quinn either because, you know what, maybe the quarterback. There's a lot of people that could have had power and influence in that moment. Kyle's on this platform now, and everyone wants to point the finger at Kyle. And it was similar to that after the game, and I think it's unfair. It's just like no one person ever wins a game. No one person ever loses a game. There's much more nuance. There's much more gray matter or gray area to to success and failure. Do you think that the Chiefs or the 49ers, because and, you know, we talk about the that, that game that Breach keeps bringing up. <laughs> Which one? Now I got you talking about it. I know, I know. I was like, dang it. Scott's um, never going to talk about it. <laughs> you know, and Andy Reid, too. Like, Andy Reid doesn't have a Super Bowl win. And he's, right. I mean, he's a Super Bowl win away from being a top, like, in my opinion, a top five all-time head coach, top ten. That's a whole different story. But, like, uh, do you think that that, who will feel more pressure in this game? And do you think that either one, because of the failures they've had before, might play it loose and fast? Here's what I'll say about Andy. Is Andy, I don't think he's going to feel that kind of pressure. Okay. Because Andy's a very unique personality. Um, and I say that with the greatest respect. And, and I think Andy is one of the best coaches of all time. I think his wins and losses show that. I think his longevity shows that. I think the success that he's had in so many different operations with different quarterbacks, with different teams. Um, I have tremendous personal and professional respect for for Andy, and I'll say this about Andy: I, I think it's terribly unfair sure. for for him to be judged based on whether or not he wins the Super Bowl. And the reality is, that's what we do as a society. That's what we do within this game. And Andy, to me, is again, I believe, is a Hall of Fame caliber football coach. Oh, I think he's a slam and dunk personally. But... Will it make him feel a lot better? Heck yeah, it'll make him feel a lot better, but do I think that this Super Bowl, whether he wins this game or not, determines what his legacy of greatness is? I think it would be unfair, but I also understand that it's going to be part of it. So, Jonathan Jones, our colleague, has been in San Francisco the last few weeks covering the 49ers in their playoff run. 
And he said uh, before their their championship game that they were so incredibly loose days before that he was sort of concerned. A young group that's never really been there, young quarterback who hasn't had a chance to really shine as a franchise quarterback. Now that they're here, are there any concerns if you're the head coach, if you're in the front office, that Jimmy G hasn't had this experience? He hasn't had to put this team on the shoulder because of the defense and the running game. Kyle Shanahan doing a lot of the heavy lifting. You, can, you might even argue that you can't put too much on him on the biggest stage, or you're just like, all right, Jimmy, this is your time to shine. Go out there and do it, even though you've thrown uh, that's a good, eight, that's eight, a good plug for CBS Sports Network. <laughs> Eighteen passes, you know. Yeah, here's what I'll say: I don't think Kyle is thinking that far. He's put in a game plan, and Kyle is a coach who he has a system. He's going to use his system and tweak it, you know, in terms of the the opponent. He's going to do whatever. This has nothing to do with Jimmy Garoppolo. He's the kind of coach that whatever we have to do to win the game that week, whether it's keep our you know offense on the field longer, run the ball more, whether it's a special team thing, this is one of the reasons I've, I've said several times that Kyle is as close to Bill Belichick as any coach I've ever been around wow. in a lot of ways. His attention to detail, his he has a maniacal sense of detail. Um I don't think Kyle gets wrapped up in, I want Jimmy Garoppolo to win a Super Bowl MVP. I want the, you know, I, I, Kyle doesn't care about that stuff. Right. Kyle doesn't care about how Kyle looks. He wants him to throw I'm, eight passes because that means he's getting out of here with a win. And this is where he's similar to his father. You mean Mike Shanahan? Of where he's similar to Bill Belichick. Their job is to win games regardless of what vehicle they use to do it. And if the vehicle last week was having to run more times, and if this week it's going to be to throw more, if it's going to be play action more, if it's going to be some drop back pass, you know, pocket passing stuff, Kyle's going to do whatever works the best against the Kansas City Chiefs defense. All right, welcome to Radio Row, sort of. We're in a private room. Dak Prescott, quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys. Will Brinson here with the Pick 6 Podcast. How you doing, Dak? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Uh, Excellent season this past year. Would you? I mean, I know it was disappointing that it yeah. didn't culminate where you wanted it to do. But you, did you feel like 2019 was a big step forward? Yeah, it definitely was. Uh, individually, I took steps. I got better. Uh, I progressed as a player. Um, as you just said, it didn't necessarily correlate over the wins, and that's the frustrating part. That's the tough part about it. But um, you got to take something good. You got to take something positive from it, uh, and that's what I'm able to take from it. Is I got better um, individually, and now we've got to grow off of that uh, and just get better collectively as a team. Uh, I mean, there's the obvious elephant in the room that I have to ask you about, the contract situation. You uh, are, have played exceptional through your rookie deal. You're, I believe, an unrestricted free agent. Uh, the franchise tag is available. Have you talked to the Cowboys at all? I mean, I'm just, just say I'm confident that something will get done. I've got all the confidence in my agents and my team, and i got confidence in the Dallas Cowboys uh, that something will get done and something good for both of us. I mean, I, am, I will guarantee that you are a Dallas Cowboys player next year. I don't know how it gets there, but there's no way they're letting a guy as good as you walk out the door. I like that guarantee. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Some, and some security. Yeah. Hey, look, the, fr- the franchise tag is not a terrible deal. I would sign it right now, but I, you know, but it, yeah, if they wanted me to do a podcast for a single year deal, I'd do it. Um, how important is it to get all the weapons back? Like Amari Cooper, they, I think they, they can actually use the transition tag as well as the franchise tag this year. So it's possible he could be back. Um, Michael Gallup took a major leap forward this year. How good can this offense be? Uh, knowing there's a new coaching staff coming in with Mike McCarthy. Yeah, I mean, obviously excited by the coaching staff uh, coming in, but we're able to keep Kellen Moore, uh, keep him as the offensive yeah. coordinator and the play caller. So um, that's another step that we can grow off of that. As you just named all the guys from Coop to uh, Michael Gallup, um, obviously Zeke, and then even even um, 
obviously Tony Pollard, the young running back. I mean, we've got players. Blake yeah, he's, Darwin. Got, he's explosive. Dude. Yeah, I mean, we've got guys that can definitely play. Uh, and under Kellen Moore, under this offense, um, just next level, next level. And that's the steps that we're trying to take, and we're going to do that this offseason. Was it how excited were you to get Kellen Moore back? Because yeah. you're you're going to be learning something new with Mike McCarthy, but with Kellen Moore, you have a guy that you played with, you who's coached you last year, familiar voice in the ear, right. and a guy whose play calling seems to set up your type of offense. Yeah, Is that a big benefit? Yeah, you just said it, familiarity, uh, having that and having that, just knowing that you've got that play caller, somebody that you're used to, um, still in your back pocket. Um, it's good. It's obviously. Um, just gives you a little bit of a safe feeling, a little safe haven there. Um, but he's a great play caller. He's a great coordinator and excited for what he's going to continue to grow into. What did you think about uh, the moves that Mississippi State hired uh, Mike Leach? What are your thoughts? I like it. Uh, yeah. I love Mike Leach. I love what he's done. Just check his resume. Uh, he's a winning coach. Um, if I'd have played under him, I probably would have a lot more passing yards. Uh, it's a pretty good numbers against but, with Dan Mullen, no, I mean, man. I'm not, yeah. I'm not trying to yeah, change yeah, anything, yeah. but excited for what he's going to do uh, and for where the program's headed. I, I NC State guy, Mississippi State. Final, your final game yeah, was against NC yeah. State in a bowl game. It did not end well for NC State fans. So. Uh, yeah, you think you put up like 500 and 100 or something like that. Uh, you're working with Dannon. Yep. Talk about how that's sort of part of your routine and your uh, and what you do is as a way to sort of keep your body healthy. Yeah, I'm here partnered uh, with Oikos. Oikos Triple Zero. I've been partnered with them since 2017. Uh, and here just um, pushing the brand, just trying to let everybody know what works for me and what's good for me. I'm not a big breakfast guy, but I need something, obviously, in the morning to give me fuel, to give me my protein. Uh, and Triple Zero just does it for me. Uh, it gives me the protein, gives me the energy. Um, but without the added sugars, without, without all that, I don't feel sluggish. Um, and it's my little trick. It fuels my hustle. So I'm here, obviously, promoting it, pushing it here in Miami. Um, I'm trying to give y'all something. Feels like it's working okay. It's working okay for you. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.